Now, if you skipped your nap to watch the game, now is not the time. <laughs> you wait till I'm done, you take a nap. <laughs> uh, we're going to be uh, starting off here in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I told Ms. Sharon when I came in, I said, I'm going to have to learn how to be nice in the morning and mean at night because we're getting to where there are not that many people come back at night and are so mean in the morning. Amen. So... No, some of those sermons like what you got this morning, believe me, I know how they hit. They hit me as hard as they hit you. And uh, still, packing still, still packing stuff up, still boxing it up. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I thought some of needed Yeah, yeah. Rick, was for, Rick thought it was real good. A lot of people really needed to hear that. Yeah, I want to say what you mentioned this morning, the ice cream in there. You go on down through the past and you'll find out Sure, 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 sure. Now, none of that's recorded on here, so we'll move on. All right. Uh, the Bible is filled uh, with historical accounts of uh, great men and women of the faith, uh, many of whom have their share of the spotlight based upon uh, the great works and the great faith that they exhibited for the Lord, people that you're well acquainted with, well familiar with. You're well, uh, well, uh, well familiar with Elijah and Daniel and David and folks like that, they, Moses and uh, several of those folks, they spend a fair bit of their time in the spotlight because of uh, their faith and uh, the things that they did. And, and it appears that the greater the man or the woman, that the greater the focus that the Bible places on the events of their lives. However, uh, I believe there are exceptions to that rule, that there are men and women of great faith that take a secondary role. And that's the role that the Lord has for them. Uh, you heard in Sunday school this morning, we're going to be getting into uh, in Romans there in Romans chapter 12, looking at verses three through five. When we're talking about the body of Christ, you know, not every not every member uh, in a church is the face. Bless God. Right. You, you, you don't uh, you don't. <laughs> there's probably plenty of times where you don't want to be the face. You know why you don't want to be the face? Because usually when a punch is getting thrown, somebody's aiming for the face. Right. Whenever the devil comes, you know, uh, trying to hurt a church, sometimes he's aiming for the face. You don't always want to be the face. Uh, you don't always want to be the head, uh, you know. And so uh, all of that stuff is important. You watch it. You know, I hate to bring, you know, with something like football game or something like that. But, some, you know, uh, it, it's usually the quarterback that gets all the glory. But you got to have a defense. Right. Like, it, 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 you know, nobody cares about the kicker till he misses. Right. And then suddenly he was real important. Right. He misses a kick and he's the first guy they want to kick off the team. But he can make a hundred of them. And everybody's like, yeah, man, that's great. But they'll forget about him come press conference time. Right. But you need all those folks. They may seem secondary until things start to fall apart. And then they're, boy, then they're necessary. Uh, you know, like I said this morning in Sunday school, man, if your appendix burst, you're going to know about it. But you won't think about it any other time. You know, uh, you know, it's always this time of year whenever there's a lot of chili, and I love chili. But man, if I if I get too much, you know, and it's oranges and chili. Like that seems to be the theme of winter around here. It's oranges and chili. I get too much. Uh, I get too much of that citrus stuff, and I get canker sores. I don't know about you. I get a canker sore. And you know what? I don't think about my gums or my lips. Ever so much as I do is whenever I've got one of them canker sores. And I mean, talk about something that will bring you to prayer, right? You would have thought you got a limb cut off the way that I pray over a canker sore. 
Like, man, what a baby. But that stuff that you don't think about, those things that seem secondary, but they're important. And I'm just, I say all that to say this, is that there's a lot of secondary people in the Bible that most people don't think anything about, but they're important. Uh, They're every bit as important as the people that you spend a lot of time thinking about. You get over to the New Testament, uh, especially, you know, past the book of Acts a little bit, and who are you thinking about? Man, you hear sermon after sermon, and rightfully so, on the person of Paul. But I'm going to tell you, there's somebody that's right there next to Paul that you ought to consider. Uh, Throughout the Bible, you get men like Eleazar, who was just Abraham's servant. And, uh, and man, he was right there next to Abraham most of Abraham's life before there was an Isaac. And then once Isaac comes along, man, his role as, as the servant has now gotten pushed by the wayside. Man, he's just a servant. Man, if Isaac and Ishmael never come along, Eleazar probably was set to inherit everything. You know, you could be Eleazar and get real bitter over the birth of Isaac. And then guess what? You know, push gets to, you know, I guess put an injury to insult or whatever it is. Abraham sends Eleazar to go find a bride for Isaac. And you know what? If you have the wrong mentality, if you have a a very selfish mentality, Eleazar is going all the way over there to Abraham's family, mumbling and grumbling and hoping he finds, you know, a train wreck. Somebody looks like a Mack truck and got the spirit of a dog. I say, he, he sent me over there to find a bride, man. He's going to be surprised what I bring back. And it ain't what he did. Right. He's praying on God the whole time. In fact, you know, and because of that, you look at Eleazar in the book of Genesis, and you know what he's the strong, one of the strongest types of? The Holy Spirit. Why? Because of his attitude and his faithfulness and his loyalty to his master is that he went to go find a bride for somebody that was a type picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and whose bride is going to be a type picture of the church. But man, that doesn't go that well if you got Eleazar and Eleazar is all about himself. Because the story's not about Eleazar. In fact, the whole time Eleazar is doing this stuff, it's not even about Rebecca. The whole story is about Isaac. The bride is for Isaac. Your Christian life is not about you. And I know how it is. You're not going to joke about it. I, I tell my students all the time, I said, you guys don't know this, but as soon as you leave my classroom, you cease to exist. You just... Pfft. Because I'm the main character, right? And you all, come, when you come back into my room, you begin to exist again. It doesn't feel good to be here, you know? That's how they act, you know? I had students in my class who are like, we don't think you ever go home. We think that, you know, you get out to your truck and you just power down, and then they, bring, they wheel you back in and put you in your classroom, and they turn you back on, and here you are again. You only think you go home. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that. But, uh, you know, uh, sometimes these secondary characters, they may not seem like much, but they're important. Uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is born before Christ is born. John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness. I mean, he's dressed like a maniac. And, and, and people, I mean, listen, this guy is so godly and so righteous that you know what people ask about John the Baptist? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And you know what? That could have gone to John the Baptist's head and said, man, I like being in the spotlight. I like people thinking that's me. But do you know the, the whole point of John the Baptist's ministry is to say, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, and point people to Jesus Christ and say, I'm not he. In fact, not only am I not he, but I'm not even worthy to unlatch that man's sandals. 
Man, you know what that is? That's somebody who's willing to take. Somebody who has the primary role until Jesus Christ shows up and says, I am fully well. Man, listen, it's not just being secondary. I will go as far back down the list as you need me to go so that Christ has the spotlight. And this evening, I'd like to take a little closer look at a man in the ministry, uh, and that's the second man. Uh, That's the man Barnabas uh, over here in Acts, uh, the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, I want to look at his first impression, the the first time that you really see him show up by name. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and the church is just getting started here. You're still pretty early into everything. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. A lot of times that's how a good church gets started. It starts out that way. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Uh, I would say that that would dovetail really well in with this morning's sermon on graven images. You know what you see before these people are able to do things with one heart and one mind? Evidently, nobody's holding anything in their heart and saying, man, this is mine and you can't have it. Evidently, everybody's giving up kind of ownership of, you know, listen, everything I've got, it's, you know, the communists will get a hold of that and say, man, that's how we all ought to be. And that's the paradise is is everybody shares everything. Uh, I want you to look at that a little bit differently just here for a second. Uh, It says of one heart of one soul, neither said any of them that uh, that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. People get the idea that we're sharing or we're identifying. This is all all of ours. I don't think that that's what they're saying. I think what they're saying is everything I have is Christ's. It's not that what I have is yours and what you have is mine. It's that what I have is his. Does that make sense? You can take that thing and twist that around and leave an opening for it and be a socialist or communist or whatever you want and say, this is our passage. But I don't think that that's what they're saying. It says, but they had all things common and that they all thought that way. Listen, everything I've got of the Lord. I think they got a hold of uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 pretty quick. Or, or Romans chapter 11 right there at the, at the end there uh, where he said, all things are of him and through him and to him. Uh, and be, you know, and all those things are his. Let me go over there just so I don't butcher that quite so bad. Uh, Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 30, uh, verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. I think they got a hold of uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 36 before Paul ever wrote it. I think the Lord wrote that thing and impressed that thing on their heart. Verse 33, and with great uh, power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of, uh, brought the, price of the things that were sold. We'll find out, you know, you already know that there's some folks that take that and don't handle it super well. And, uh, <laughs> Well, they don't walk out with their lives. So, uh, verse 35, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord God, Lord, I pray that you'd bless your people here tonight, Lord, maybe anybody who's watching. Uh, Lord, that you watch out over us, God. And Lord, just I pray that you help us to consider these things and uh, consider our position in these things, what our mentality is, what our heart is. Lord, help us to have the right heart. 
uh, Lord, and to do with these things as you see fit. These things I pray in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to see there's the, uh, that's Barnabas's very first impression, is that uh, he was a comfort. He was a comfort to some folks. The church is just getting started here, and Barnabas is a comfort. You know, that's a great testimony to have. You could have a lot worse testimony than that, than to somebody said, man, so-and-so, you can say whatever you want about them, but they've always been a comfort to me. Uh, listen, uh, there, there's a flip side to that coin, right? You get over there, I believe it's uh, in the book of Job. You know what Job had to say about three fellows that came by his way? They're, they're, I believe it's at the end of chapter 2, they're there to comfort him. But then whenever they tried to explain why Job, really this is all your fault, you know what Job has to say about him? Miserable comforters are ye all. <laughs> And listen, I think more often than not, a lot of people who aren't in church tonight have probably said that about some Christian. Right? Is that, let's be honest, just because we're here, just because we're in Christ, just because we're Bible believers, there's a lot of Bible believers, pretty poor, pathetic comforters. Right? <laughs> like, you don't make a good thick blanket on a bed. You're not a very good comforter. Right? You're not very cozy to be around. You're more surly and, well, you know, it probably is your fault. Well, thank you. What a blessing. You know, what a joy to find. You know, what a fellowship. Thank you for that. And there's sometimes, listen, there's something to be said for having a testimony of being a great comforter. I don't know. I think sometimes you ought to stop and consider, what, what kind of testimony do I have in this church? You know, what, what, I, what am I to people in this church? Like, I, I'm a Bible believer, I'm saved, but am I a help to people here? Am I a blessing to people here? Bar, this guy, we'll never, besides in this passage, call him Joseph. I mean, I've never heard a sermon on Joseph. This guy was such a comforter that the, that the apostles, not just anybody, the apostles changed his name. That's something, folks. I don't know. I mean, the apostles, pretty, pretty big name people in the Christian faith, I dare say. He was a comfort to them, so much so that they changed his name. That's, that's something. He's a comfort. He's a blessing. Um, and he is faithful. I mean, talk about, listen, I, I'm not telling you that, you know, that if I preach these verses that the end result of this is that, hey, let's all, you know, let's all call up whoever's been sending us the mail on what our land is worth and let's just sell all our land. Right? I'm not saying that. But whenever the Lord put it on their heart to do something drastic, evidently Barnabas would do whatever the Lord told him to do, even if it meant selling his land. That's pretty drastic. You know, the thing that I see in Christianity anymore, and I'm, I'm not saying that Christianity is about these, these big showy events. But if the Lord, but, but also I think that we hear that so much that we're not willing to do anything big for Christ. Well, I'm just, you know, I understand that a lot of the Christian life is the little things. Take care of the little things. Take care of the little things. But listen, sometimes the Lord will call you to do something big. And, and Barnabas was willing, if you look at it. I mean, you think about it today. Some of I mean, listen, it's no big deal. I, I've got a double lot in Unionville, Missouri. 
Man, compared to some of the land that you all have got, if it came between you selling your land and me selling my land, there's a big difference between you selling your land and me selling mine. Right? So I can't put it on, but I can say this is that, listen, the Lord calls people, He calls faithful people to do big things sometimes. I believe it was William Carey who said this. He said, uh, he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. But we're kind of at the point where we expect great things from God, but we're not willing to attempt great things for God. We only like about half that statement. There's expectation, but no attempt. Again, I don't know what it is, but I do believe that as Christians we ought to be open to it. Is that fair? It is fair that the Lord should be able to get a great attempt out of me. Whatever it is he'd have me do. And so he was faithful. He was faithful what the Lord called him to do. But I'd also say that he was, he was heavenly minded. Now, I might be wrong about this. You could argue this. And whenever you get up here and you preach this sermon, you can preach it differently. But go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I don't think that Acts chapter 4 was the first time you met Joseph who, was, who became Barnabas. I don't think this is the first time you met him. I think this is the first time that you know it's Barnabas, but I think you've seen him before. I think that you've seen him before, and I believe that Barnabas had a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. But things went very differently the first time he had an encounter with God versus the second time he had an encounter with God. In Luke chapter 18, go to verse 18. Luke 18, 18, it says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. Verse 19, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now Jesus heard these things. He said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. You know what the Lord doesn't do? The Lord doesn't argue and say, You're a liar. You have done these things. Evidently, the guy's being honest and truthful, and the Lord bears credence to the fact that he is being honest and truthful about not doing any of those things. Now, I dare say the Lord knew he hadn't done any of those things. But it says, yet lackest thou one thing. So for this young man, what the Lord identifies is he's, he, this kid is doing right on all these things. He knows he's doing right on him. I know he's doing right on him. But I also know where his roadblock is. And I'm going to call him out on his roadblock. He says, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And then when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. There's a young man where the one thing that was holding him up from following Christ is that 40 acres over there. I could follow Christ. If it wasn't for all, I mean, uh, 40 acres, it could have been 4,000 acres. I have no idea how much it was. Evidently, it was great. He's very sorrowful for he was very rich. He says, sell all that thou hast. 
And Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful. He said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? That's where a lot of people like to stop and say, see, a rich person can't get saved. That's not what he says here. Keep going. It says, and when Jesus, uh, let's see, uh, and he said, how hardly shall they that have riches inherit to enter into the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through, the eye, through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, and they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things, uh, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The Lord doesn't say it's impossible for a rich man to get saved. He just says it's difficult. Why? Because the riches hold him back. Right. Now, can I just say for a second in here tonight that I'm talking to a bunch of rich folks. So I'm not rich. I'm barely middle class. Man, as far as the IRS is concerned, I'm in poverty. Praise the Lord for that in my home. I'm poor enough to get really good insurance. <laughs> I'm just below that line when we are in poverty. Praise the Lord. Man, if we weren't in poverty, we'd be broke. <laughs> That's where we would be. But I'm preaching to rich folks tonight. I mean, listen, out of the, what, around 8 billion people on the planet? Now, you may not be rich compared to maybe somebody down the road. But I guarantee you, you're rich compared to somebody, you know, living on a street in San Francisco. Right. You know, I don't have to take you to some other country to, to show you you're rich. Man, you're rich. The people that are sitting in here tonight are rich compared to people that live in Unionville. Because I've walked around some streets in Unionville. And I've heard people talking and seeing somehow they have electricity in here. But if you were to walk up, you would be, you'd be surprised if they had anything but a dirt floor. I walked by some houses in Unionville. You didn't think that, you thought it was condemned and maybe there was not fit for dogs to live in there. There's people living in there. Kids living in there. Man, you are, I'm talking to some wealthy folks. But I'll tell you what will hold you up from your walk with Christ is what you've got. Now, it may be what you've got. I mean, listen, I hit that hard enough this morning. But it'll be that graven image that you keep in your heart. And you know what? The, if you were like that rich young ruler, who I think is Barnabas before he becomes Barnabas, and the Lord would sit down to have a conversation with you, and you came up to the Lord just like he did and said, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? The Lord would probably give you the same list of things you didn't do wrong. And you walk away, man, I haven't done any of that. And the Lord says, yep, you haven't done any of those things. Yet this thing... Yet this, yet lackest thou this one thing. And I'm going to tell you this, is that the thing that separates most Christians from revival is this. Say, so what is that? It's for you to figure out. It's one thing that holds you back. And if it wasn't for that one thing, you'd have revival. And you know what? That rich young ruler walked away sorrowful. And it, notice what he says, go and sell all, all that thou hast and give to the poor. What do you find over here in Acts chapter 4? You find somebody, you find Joseph, he sells all his land, and who does it go to? Well, it evidently goes to a bunch of folks that didn't have as much as what he had, evidently went to the poor. Whenever Barnabas got an opportunity, I think whenever Barnabas saw... I don't know if he was there whenever Christ died on the cross. He sure knew about it. 
I think, the, I think Barnabas, I think after Jesus Christ died on the cross, had such a smiting of his conscience that he had a conversation with the Lord where he said, if I ever get a chance again, I'm not going to stumble over that thing I stumbled over before. If the Lord ever gives me another chance to come before him and have him use me, I'm willing to give up that thing that stands between him and me. He can have it. I'm not going to let something stand between me and my relationship with Christ. Because I don't think he ever got past it from that point there in, what did I say, it was Luke chapter 18? I don't think, I think that that bothered him. From Luke chapter 18 all the way to Acts chapter 4. I don't know what the time frame on that is, but I think that bothered him so much that whenever it came time, the Lord smote his heart about, listen, sell it. He said, yes, sir. I'm on board. Let's go. I don't know what the one thing is for you. But that was his first impression. His second impression, the second place that you see uh, Barnabas show up is all the way over in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse uh, 26. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. Well, that makes sense. Because the last time they knew, and listen, this is in Acts chapter 9. You know what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 8? Killing folks. Pushing them to the point where they would deny Christ. And they were afraid of him. Look at uh, verse 27. That's a Pretty simple, but amazing set of four words from the beginning of verse 27 to the comma. But Barnabas took him. He said, I'll take him. You know what Paul was at that point? Paul was not Paul at this point. Paul was a jerk. Paul was a murderer. Paul was a violent, dangerous man. And whenever they lined up everybody for their kickball team, nobody wanted Paul. And Barnabas said, I'll take him. Can you imagine? Do you realize that those four words, I'm not saying that everything hinges on those four words. I don't know. But for Barnabas, everything hinges on those four words. Because of those four words, because of a man who was willing to take somebody that nobody else wanted. You have a Paul who writes two-thirds of your New Testament. I don't know if Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament without the support of Barnabas. Because there's some people, as great as they are, they're great because of the people that support them. There's some people that can be great in a Christian life, but not if you don't get in behind them and support them. They could be great, but they need you. You make all the difference to some. For all you know, it's one of these kids sitting in here that the Lord's got designed to do great and amazing things that will so overshadow you and I that you and I will just be happy to have been a part of their Christian life. Amen. But you are a Barnabas. And when the world said, I don't care anything about them. I have no interest in them. And you invested in them. You took them. And you said, hey, 
won't you come with me? It says, uh, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took him. And Barnabas says these things. Barnabas gives his, gives his testimony, gives Paul's testimony seemingly. And maybe I've got that wrong, but keep going here. Verse 28, And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. Uh, but they went about to slay him. That's Paul. That's, that's the second impression. The second impression, just about all you get there is, but Barnabas took him. Barnabas said, I'll take him. Well, that's courageous. Because they feared Paul. Go over to 1 Timothy. You can hold your place there in Acts chapter 9. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Granted you probably know this. It says, But the Lord hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think that uh, Barnabas had all three of those things when he took Paul. For, oh, sorry. 2 Timothy 1 7. 2 Timothy 1.7. Thank you for saving me from the embarrassment. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. I think it took all three of those things for Barnabas to say, I'll take Paul. I think that not just being a son of consolation, but somebody who was deeply in tune with what God was doing. And said, I think the Lord will use him. I think somebody just needs to give him a chance. I think he just needs somebody to stand beside him and be an encouragement to him. Somebody needs to stand next to him who's not afraid of him. And, and I think the Lord had to fill him with some boldness and fill him with some power and give him plenty of love and give Barnabas a good head, a good head on their shoulders to say, I'll be a help to Paul. Because, man, what did you find out about Barnabas? Barnabas is just, a, I mean, he is a great preacher as well. He's right there by Paul the whole time. He's an advocate. He declared Paul's defense. There's something about being a Barnabas to somebody and say, listen, I'll stand next to you and I'll lift you up. I guarantee you that, listen, uh, just as a church, uh, there'd probably be some folks that uh, have left this church who would like to come back if there was a Barnabas that would stand next to him and say, you can sit next to me. I know you've fallen down, but you can sit next to me in church. You can sit next to me at Bible study. I'll pick you up. I'll sit down with you. I'll come over to your house. I'll study the Bible with you. I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. I'll fast with you. What do you need? Let me, let me be to you what Barnabas was to Paul. And maybe the Lord's not done with you yet. Maybe the Lord can use you. Maybe the Lord can still get a hold of you. The third impression is over in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about, Stephen traveled as far as Phinehas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And, uh, and some of them uh, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas 
that he should go as far as Antioch. It doesn't say that they sent forth Barnabas and Paul. It says that they sent forth Barnabas, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. This is Barnabas. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Now, I don't know, I might be wrong in this before I get down to the whole thing, but Barnabas is, he's a little bit like um, the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. You know, if you got seven churches over there in the book of Revelation, and only one of them doesn't get a rebuke, right? As far as I can tell, I have a real hard time. Now, the Bible doesn't say a lot about Barnabas, but what I do notice is that it doesn't say anything bad about Barnabas. You know, I'll tell you what, that's an advantage to being a good second. Let me keep going. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. They sent for Barnabas. Barnabas seeks to go get Paul. They didn't seek for Paul. Nobody told Barnabas to go get Paul. Barnabas cared about Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up of them uh, named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be a, a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to him ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren, which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it unto the elders of the hands of Barnabas and Saul. But Saul isn't in Antioch without Barnabas, because Barnabas departed to Tarsus to go get Paul. And that's why Paul's at Antioch whenever they send Barnabas and Paul. Do you see how instrumental somebody is significant seeming? Barnabas never penned a single verse of Scripture in your Bible. But because of his interest in Paul, you have two-thirds of your New Testament given. Which also they did and sent it unto the elders of the hands of Barnabas and Saul. He was dependable. They sent Barnabas. They counted on Barnabas. Barnabas was somebody that you could count on. Barnabas was somebody that whenever it came to the service of the church, he was there. He was there. Uh, listen, I, I, it, for whatever reason, catchphrases just lodge themselves in my head. But they come to mind so often. And what I've heard somebody say, man, I just think it's a great thing to say and you need to hear it again, is that the greatest ability is dependability. You know, that's no less. I mean, listen, I'm preaching to the choir right now because I'm preaching to people that are here on Sunday night. Right? You are, for all intents and purposes, the core crowd. We're talking Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night. This is the group. But you're the group because of dependability. You are the most likely in this church to be somebody's Barnabas. Don't forget that. 
Don't forget that your dependability is looked upon whenever they're ready to start sending somebody out to go do the ministry. They're looking for the people that are dependable. It was easy to call on Barnabas because Barnabas was there. Right? They didn't have to get Barnabas on the Zoom meeting or the Google Meet or the FaceTime or whatever it is. They didn't have to call him up. They didn't have to send him an email. Why? Because he was at the meeting. You didn't have to go and send a letter. You didn't have to, you know, send a carrier pigeon. Go find Barnabas. Listen, Barnabas is there. Barnabas, we need you. Would you go and take care of this? But you know what? Barnabas wasn't just somebody that could follow orders. He was somebody who cared about people. And Barnabas cared about Paul. And Barnabas had a vision for how the Lord could use somebody. And I think sometimes we have lost that lost that vision for people. Sometimes as Christians, whenever people stop showing up, out of sight, out of mind, we write them off. Well, they ain't here. You know what? Barnabas goes and seeks to find Paul. And he brings him to the meeting. And you know what church needs? Church needs people willing to go and get people and bring them to the meeting. And you might find that the people that you bring to the meeting, maybe the Lord will use them more than He ever used you. And you know what? It takes a lot of humility to admit that that is a possibility. That the Lord might use the person that you went and got, then He uses you. But I'm just saying at the judgment seat of Christ, I think Barnabas comes out okay. I think Barnabas is doing well. I don't think Barnabas is, is short whenever it comes to gold, silver, and precious stones. And in fact, I dare say that whatever fruit came about because of Paul was also credited to Barnabas. Even though Barnabas wasn't standing in the spotlight. He's an encouragement. Verse 23 over here says, Who then came and had seen the great uh, grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. That's Barnabas. Barnabas was an encouragement. I'll tell you this, uh, not to just give you the big head. Uh, that's the reason we got double doors is so you can still get out, you know. But you're a great encouragement to me. I know that I've said that, but I think it bears repeating that you all are a great encouragement to me. I'm sad when you're not here. Don't think that I don't notice. I'm not going to call you up and say, hey, where were you? Because I don't want you to feel bad in times when, you know, sometimes things come up and you miss. So if there's somebody not here tonight who's normally here tonight, like probably the copes are watching. But I'm not going to give them a hard time about not being here. But I miss you. I miss you. And look forward to seeing you again. You know, I appreciate the folks in this church that whenever my wife and kids aren't here for some reason, you know what? You're quick to ask, hey, how are they doing? How's the little one doing? Is he doing all right? Been praying for him all afternoon. Is he doing okay? Well, we'll keep praying for him. Right, listen, there's some folks I, I remember, but I'll try. Just because I know how much I appreciate somebody reaching out to me, that's why I try to reach out to a few folks. I don't naturally think to reach out to people. Uh, it's something I'm working on gaining the, the notion to do, is to send somebody a text, to call somebody up, to just be an encouragement to them. Why? Because I think that these people here, it wasn't just that Barnabas was at all the meetings. It's that while Barnabas is at the meetings, he's a joy to be around. 
I mean, the guy didn't walk around like he just sucked on a lemon. He didn't walk around like he had prune face. Like he was somebody you were excited to see whenever he showed up for church. Hey man, how you doing? Everything going all right? Hey, how can I pray for you? Is there any way I can lift you up? You know, give me, give me your prayer list. I'll be, I'll be praying over it tonight. You need any, are you fasting? Can I fast with you? What, what can I do with you? You know, you need, I, listen, and it's, it, I imagine that Barnabas took it a step further, because let's just be honest for a second. Sometimes the things that are a great blessing to us are things that don't necessarily seem spiritual, but have a spiritual impact on us. Like things like somebody that will go and cut a truckload of wood with you or for you and deliver it to your house, which I know people in this church have done for other people. You think, oh, that's just... That's just grunt work. Ain't no big deal. I guarantee whoever you do it for is greatly spiritually edified by it. Some of you all that brought, you know, uh, listen, you're, some of you all raise cows and then you butcher them. And then you come to my house and drop off the meat. Man, I didn't do anything for any of that. You put in all this work and fed them and took them in and hauled them up and took them to the butcher. And listen, that's your meat. And man, you, you're a great spiritual blessing to me and my family by taking care of something that is seemingly just physical. I don't know that all that Barnabas did was verbally exhort them. I mean, this is a guy who's willing to sell all his land off and give it to help a bunch of people out. You think that that's all Barnabas was willing to do? Man, I bet Barnabas was a great blessing and a help to people in any way he could be. In fact, I bet without the, you know, without, he's handed off a bunch of the responsibility and it's like, man, I don't have anything really to do but to be a blessing. Sometimes, I, I, unfortunate, I think, is that uh, the devil gets a lot of us not by making us bad, but by making us busy. If the devil can't make you bad, I think a lot of times he'll make you busy until you get to the point where somebody calls you up and they need help. But you're so busy, you can't be a blessing. There's something to be said for making yourself so busy that you can't be a blessing. I do wonder to a certain extent that if Barnabas is that rich young ruler, if that wasn't part of the hindering block that Paul, that the Lord saw in Barnabas is, listen, not only could you follow me if you didn't have all that stuff holding you back, but you'd probably be a great blessing to a bunch of other folks. And you think, oh, the Lord's just trying to, just trying to take away my living. The Lord's just trying to take away my inheritance. Can you imagine what inheritance Barnabas got by giving up an earthly possession? Can you, I mean, listen, I don't know, haven't you figured this out about the Lord that you can't outgive God? Can you imagine what Barnabas got from the Lord by selling that land and how the Lord blessed him? Now, by no means, and I, I hope that this has been clear, this is by no means a call for everybody to sell everything they have and give it to the church house. I'm just curious as to how important Christ is, and if it come down to one thing between you and Him, what are you willing to do with that thing? He was crucial. Barnabas was crucial. Because without Him, you find in verse 25 and 26, there is a good chance that Paul would not have been at Antioch. And Paul would not have been sent the way he was sent. Now, maybe it happens a different way. I don't know. 
And this is by no means all that there is to say about Barnabas, but it's enough to give you a picture of the type of man that he was. And the biggest thing to me is that Barnabas was not about himself. Barnabas was a man with a servant's heart, and his life's purpose was the furtherance of the gospel and the ministry of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about people knowing who Barnabas was and putting his name and making sure his name went up in lights right there beside Paul's. And you have here a man who never penned an inspired word and is responsible potentially for two-thirds of your New Testament and not just what was written by Paul. Go a little further on to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and find verse 36. Acts chapter 15, 36, it says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Say, hey, let's take Mark with us. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. I don't want to take Mark. Mark abandoned us in Pamphylia and wouldn't go into the ministry with us. Mark picked up and left and went home. I have no interest in taking Mark. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Mark's a lazy coward. I don't want Mark with me. And the contention was so sharp between them that the departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed on the Cyprus. And right there, you've got the first church split. Barnabas and Paul split ways. But here's the thing. Paul is now Paul. But you know what? At this point, Mark is not Mark. Right at this point right here, Mark is somebody who went with Paul and quit. Mark is somebody who's messed up. Mark is somebody who's fallen out. That's all he is at this point. That's all at this point in the story. That's all Mark is. And if at this point it could have stayed that way and you never would have known the difference. Mark would have lived the rest of his life potentially in obscurity. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 11 says only Luke is with me. Take Mark. This is Paul speaking. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. This is some time later. In fact, if you're aware of this in second Timothy, Paul's about ready to be offered. Paul's about at the very end of his ministry to lose his head. Mark is the one who wrote the book of Mark, but he hadn't written it in Acts chapter 15. Barnabas is not just responsible for getting Paul where he was. He's seemingly responsible for finding Mark and getting him back in. I don't know that it's an overstatement that in the church today, when everybody kind of wants to be Paul, maybe we don't have as many Pauls as we should because we're missing a bunch of Barnabases. 
The church needs more Barnabases, more men and women who are devoted, faithful, dependable, humble, and maybe most importantly, interested in helping and preserving the saints. They're interested in helping somebody back up. We give a lot of credit to Paul, but you would do well if you modeled your life after the service of Barnabas. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, Lord, help us to be a help to others, to have a heart for one another, to have our eyes up, Lord, to be more about other folks than we are ourselves. Lord, that we might find somebody that you can use if they just had a little bit of help, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of assistance. They might be able to accomplish great things if there was just some Christian who would show a little bit of interest and believe in them a little bit. Lord, I pray that you help us, God. Lord, I pray that it, even just in this church, Lord, that, Lord, that you might produce some Paul's but Lord, that you'd produce a great number of Barnabases alongside him. These things I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and take our hymn book. We'll turn over to page 388. Page 388. And Brother Rick, will you close us out in prayer tonight?